This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us again. Centuries from now, if God wills this earth to last that long, historians no doubt will have their say on what went wrong with the United States and the West in general during the course of the 21st century. But it's obvious to many of us, even now that the West is largely bankrupt or almost bankrupt in myriad ways, spiritually, morally, philosophically even, what has gone wrong and what kinds of answers can we find by challenging some of our modern day certainties? We're going to talk about that today with Sara Bamari, who is op-ed editor of the New York Post, columnist over at First Things and a contributing editor of the Catholic Herald. And he is out with a new book we're going to be talking about, The Unbroken Thread, Discovering the Wisdom of Tradition in an Age of Chaos. And Saurabh, so great to have you with us. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure, Jen. Sure thing. Now, you say something very interesting at the outset of your book, which I really honed in on, that as an immigrant to the U.S. from Iran, you have come to believe that these modes of life that strike a lot of Westerners as antiquated can actually liberate us and then the Western dream of autonomy and choice without limits is actually a prison. I find that so interesting. How did you come to that conclusion? What was it that drove you to make that statement in particular? Sure. So I should note that this is a book I wrote for my son. He's uh, now four years old. When I started, he was two years old. And uh, frankly, it's a a book born of my anxieties about what kind of a man our civilization will chisel out of him. As an immigrant, obviously, I have the immigrant civic gratitude to the society that uh, gave me refuge. And I, uh, it's precisely because I worry about the United States. I want the United States to leave its current disordered past that I wrote this book, and the stakes are as high as the future of my son. So how I came to the view that um, uh, the, the, uh, the, the dream of, of, a, of, of liberty without ends or limits and just maximizing your choices in life is actually... Uh, imprisoning and the the opposite the ancient traditions uh, religious teachings that t- sought to guide us and look like limits those limits were actually liberating so that's the whole thesis of the book the way i came through that is partly through my personal life you know when i came to the united states i you know i come from iran and i just thought all religion must mean kind of this theocratic oppression that i had left behind and so therefore i was a kind of militant atheist happy to jump around from one ideology to another, from one hookup to another, kind of just a kind of hedonistic life of the modern person, secular person. And I found that deeply dissatisfying. And so by, by the grace of God, I was ultimately I came back to faith in God and faith in God, the God of the Bible and Jesus Christ. But, but uh, I, then I noticed that, you know, in reading as well and observing my peers, I noticed the same process, that what all sorts of things that look like they were barriers imposed by our ancestors, imposed by tradition, imposed by religion, that they, they were eager to tear down. In retrospect, they kept our sanity. So just to give one easy example, the teaching about the, the difference but also complementarity of men and women and yeah. the fact that sex is an immutable thing. 
is the the removal of that, the abolition of sex as a kind of as a biblical, but also the gen- genetic concept, was sold as liberation. Well, now you get to define your own gender identity, but in practice, it's meant obviously kind of this new regime of insane pronouns, and and frankly, a kind of departure from reality, a departure yeah. from sanity. Um, so it's a very kind of obvious and easy example of how um, the, the traditional limits uh, actually kept us free. Oh, no doubt about it. I have so much to say on that, but just on the issue of pronouns, what's so interesting about this whole gender madness that we're all living through is what they're really wanting us to do in this context is they all want us to lie, and then we're in trouble if we don't lie. It's it's basically saying you have to deny reality. It's not just a matter of I'm on one side and you're on the other side and we can agree to disagree, which has been the norm in America for most of my life. Now it's you're in big trouble, buddy, if you don't start calling Bruce Jenner she. How in the world do you maintain a society under that kind of a construct? Right, and, and again, it's, it's, it's reality itself to thought and put it so well. But there are, if I may, there are other examples um, that I give in the book of limits that were gotten rid of, and then it turns out those limits liberated us. So another one is the loss of the American Sabbath. Yes. Um, yes. As you know, going back before the founding of the Republic in colonial Virginia, in colonial New England, in New Amsterdam, which became New York, uh, all uh, all the colonial authorities imposed this idea of a day you give, uh, you hallow God's rest. And in the process, it's not just that you uh, honor God's rest and you give give up one day for contemplation, for religion, for, for faith. You also, it liberated the worker. It liberated the family to spend one day for each other, with each other without all the inquisitiveness and competition and econ- economic warfare of the other six days of the week. That American Sabbatarianism died only recently. I mean, the last statewide blue law was, was only overturned two, three years ago in North Dakota. Yep. And it was, it was sold as liberation, right? You can, you can shop as much as you want, you can work as much as you want, do whatever you want, but in practice, it just means that we, be, we live more harried and stressful and miserable lives, set aside the fact that we don't worship as much. Yes. Yeah, you're right. I read your piece about that at the Wall Street Journal. Everybody should read that. It was really great because you're pointing out something very important. And that is really uh, from a larger viewpoint, the rejection of God, which is on the increase in America today, has had all sorts of implications, not just in the church and, and the way things have turned out with the state and the church in many respects, but also on society as a whole. I mean, how do you look at that from your vantage point, the rejection of a nation that really was built on the foundation of the Bible, even though it was not explicitly a Christian nation officially, what happens when you begin to turn on your own history, your own past, and the God who blessed your country in the first place? Well, I think that a lot of our concepts of, uh, of rights um, become disordered and monstrous when they're divorced from a substrate or a fundament of, um, of morality and specifically of, of the Judeo-Christian foundations of, of those rights that kept them in the right perspective. That ultimately, as you know, the, the kind of Christian and classical tradition teaches that freedom is free, truly freedom to do what you ought to do. Yes. And so you're free insofar as you master yourself, you detach from your appetites. This was the kind of Christian idea of freedom you especially find in, in, in the writing and thought of someone like John Adams. Um, and, and that's been lost. But you, if you just have rights for themselves, 
um, without limits, without ends, without a sense of what are rights for, you get the kind of society where people say, I want to define who I am, not just at the level of my, you know, what kind of clothes I want to wear, but even at the level of my, what, what my gender is. Um, and I don't want any imposition of morality whatsoever. Everything has to be by consent. Um, and increasingly, anything that you don't choose is treated as a burden. Your parents are old, you discard them because they're a burden on you. Your, uh, uh, your children might be a burden, you don't have them at all. So rights become kind of uh, uh, tyrannical things when they're not tethered to some larger moral vision, as indeed they were for, the, for, the, for our founders. Right. So when you're going back and you see what the founders said and what our original documents say about our rights are based in what the creator has granted to us, if you take that away, then you start saying things like trans rights or human rights, which is, in my view, inc- incredibly false, but also nonsensical. It doesn't even make any sense. They just are now whole hog saying things that were never considered to be rights in any sense of that original terminology are now being asserted as rights. And we're all supposed to just go along with that. Yep. As you know, John Adams said our Constitution was built for a moral and religious people. Right. Yeah, exactly. So what happens then? How do you keep a republic if you've lost your virtue? Well, I mean, I, that's why I think that um, traditionalist political actors, as Christians especially, because Christianity is, is still nominally the majority faith <laughs> in this country. But also, I mean, I would argue that we, at this moment we have more in common with uh uh, let's say Orthodox Jews and Orthodox, small Orthodox Muslims versus what any of us might with the woke liberal elite. So then these are the people I would call traditional political actors have to, you know, frankly, imbue the public square with with faith and not, not to be afraid because if what the past two years have taught us anything with the rise of the woke, with how they're transforming schools at a terrifying rate to turn them into these kind of ideological boot camps for the smallest age, even children. But they told us that there is no neutrality. There's no society that can just say, well, you know, that person defines reality in this way, and I define reality in this way. Hang on, just... neutral as between the two. Exactly. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. Did you miss the deadline to sign up for a healthcare program at the end of 2020? If so, I have good news. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th, meaning that if you're looking to enroll in a new healthcare program for 2021, you can do so without the need for a qualifying event. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their healthcare needs. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that offers affordable healthcare sharing programs starting as low as $199 per month. Liberty HealthShare gives you the ability to choose any doctor or hospital across the nation. Memberships are for individuals, couples, and families, offering a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. 
Why are three teenage girls walking 132 miles? I have a heart for the unborn because God does. In his word, he tells us that we are all image bearers. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. The Ministry of Preborn introduces moms to their baby in the womb through ultrasound by letting a mother hear her baby's heartbeat and see her baby eight out of ten times she'll choose life. Our goal is to raise $1,000 for every mile. Will you help us rescue babies? Preborn invites you to sponsor Savannah, Phoenix, and Emily as they walk 132 miles for the unborn. 100% of your donation will go towards saving babies' lives. And during this month of May, through a match, your tax-deductible gift is doubled, saving twice as many babies. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a preborn banner to click at JanetMeffer.com. Be sure to mention you heard about the Walk for the Unborn on Janet Meffer Today. You're listening to Janet Meffer Today. And now, here's Janet. Well, we certainly are in an age of chaos, and Sarah Bamari is with us. The Unbroken Thread is his book, Discovering the Wisdom of Tradition in an Age of Chaos. And we're talking about some of these important things that are transpiring in our society right now as we really kind of go down this rabbit hole. It's crazy. We're a nation in peril. Sarah, when we're talking about this issue of tradition, you mentioned some of these great thinkers throughout history. One of the great men you mentioned, who I happen to love as well, is St. Augustine, the Bishop of Hippo from the 4th century, author of The City of God. And that's such an interesting book to go back to because there's such a discussion in that book about the kingdom of this world, you know, the kingdoms of our, uh, the kingdom of God as compared to the kingdom of this world and, and how he separates those. But do you see any wisdom from that particular tome of Augustine's that would be helpful for us to apply in our own day? Well, um, Absolutely, I do. I, I should mention that when I was received into the Church, uh, I took the baptism and confirmation name, Augustine. Um, I'm a Catholic. Yes, right. <laughs> maybe none of your listeners, uh, that sounds maybe alien, but <laughs> but uh, the point is that Augustine is part of our shared Christian inheritance as well. Yes. And what, um, uh, uh, what I draw from him is the idea that ultimately, um, that that. You need God in the public square, and you need a religious leader in the public square. Um, St. Augustine says, when he's critiquing his fellow pagan Romans uh, in the city of God, he says that your city is not a real city, your republic is not a real republic, because a republic needs two things. It needs a a shared account of justice and people who uh, collectively strive for the common good. That's, in fact, it's the definition of a true republic that he borrows from the Roman thinker Cicero. And he says, now, pagan Rome, do you meet this definition? And he says, no, you don't have one of those two, because you you, you have to have a shared account of justice, and true justice means recognizing God and giving God his due in the public square. So if you don't have that, your 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 republic isn't a re- real republic. Your um, uh, 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 your civic life isn't true civic life, and you have kind of violence and chaos of of pagan Rome, which he documented really well because he knew Roman history like he knew the wrinkles on his own face. <laughs> um, and I think that still applies. I mean, there's a tendency among some Christians to read Saint Augustine as though he's saying. Well, we're all striving for the city of God, and therefore we don't have any role to try to transform the, the city of man. Right. No, the city of man has to be ordered to the city of God, and then that's a, a collective enterprise for Christians to help along uh, all of us together 
um, and, and not not just kind of disdain the things of this world altogether and just sort of leave them to to morality. That's not an Augustinian notion. That's the kind of modern reading of Augustine. Yeah, very interesting. And, and you know, this kind of comes into the discussions that we have as Americans all the time. When you go back to the, or, you know, the founders of this country, but way beyond that, when we go back to the pilgrims who were separatists persecuted for their faith in England, they came here, they didn't want a state church because they saw the, the bad things that happen when you have a state church. They experienced all of that. So we have this separation of church and state in practice that is not in the Constitution and the liberals have really exploited that. But as an immigrant, it's interesting. How do you see that whole issue of, you know, religion and politics don't mix. We're a country that should separate religion from the state. And yet Jesus said we were to be salt and light. How do you see this from your perspective? Because you grew up in a completely different context. I I, I did. I will say that um, there, there is no such thing as separation of church and state. That is, there is no neutrality. One way or another, because human beings are religious animals by nature, we want to, we just have this in, instinctive religious impulse. We want to hallow something or other. We want to have altars in our public square. So the only question is whether what you put up in the public square is true religion or, or frankly, <laughs> demons. And I would argue that what, uh, we see that now, especially the past two years. You know, there's a, a, liberalism itself has taken on a religious quality. Yep. It has many of the rituals that you associate with, with traditional religion, except kind of distorted and, and, and made horrible. So, for example, there is a kind of confession in liberalism. It's a, it's a ritual of confession, except you confess on Twitter and you say, I'm sorry for having offended my friends. You know, I will do penance and I will learn more, blah, blah, blah. So that's, that's ritual. Yes. It, has, it has these rituals of, of destroying the past because every, everything in the past reminds the kind of ultra-liberal that the past is not ha- as, as she would wish it to be. So you want to sort of exercise everything in the past that reminds you that, that, that history is liberal. Yep. Um, so, so we have religion. The question is, what religion do you want to put? That's that's my argument. When people say we have separation of church and state, it's just impossible. There's going to be something, some orthodoxy or other, is going to be imposed. The only question is whether it's a humane or, or orthodoxy, as Christianity or our Judeo-Christian heritage is, or an inhumane one. Yeah. You're right about that. And and what's funny about wokeness, which you mentioned earlier, is that the woke want penance, but they don't want to grant forgiveness. That's kind of the catch in the whole thing. (laughs) Right, right. It's it's a religion without mercy. No mercy. Without grace. Yeah, no mercy. Well, here's an example of this, and people will remember this from the 2020 election. I followed this very closely. I know you tweeted quite a, a lot about it at the time, but going into the 2020 election, when you guys at the New York Post were doing all your great coverage on the Hunter Biden scandal, and you kept getting censored by the by big tech. I mean, what does that say to you about the state of freedom in America and the fact that that still has not been fixed by people in Washington who theoretically at least could do something about it? Well, it, to try to tie that up with the themes of my book, it just shows you that, um, you know, a, a lot of uh, the what I call the uniparty establishment, the establishment Republicans and the establishment Democrats, um, empowered really large corporations in the name of liberty, right, in, in a kind of market fundamentalism. Yeah. But the practical result of it was the loss of our actual historic liberties, including not least the liberty of speech for, for a newspaper founded by Alexander Hamilton. The, the, the New York Post is the oldest continuously published daily newspaper. Yeah. And it was 
our story was reduced in circulation on Facebook, and it was we our account was suspended on completely spurious grounds. No one no one still had managed to contest the truth of that story. It's a true story. So it just goes to show you how there is possibility of what I call private tyranny. We're right to be alert about public tyranny, meaning government overreach or government oppression, but really large private actors can also kind of swell to a size that they actually um, kind of swamp our real liberties. And uh, again, this shows you the need for limits, the need for changing the law that gives big tech companies allows them to censor and act like publishers, but ex- but to exempt themselves from any of the of, of publishers' uh, uh, responsibilities. Yeah, you're right about that. Well, hats off to you guys because your coverage was phenomenal and the stuff that you uh, revealed about that Hunter Biden scandal remains and is printed out in many people's living rooms lest it gets taken off the internet at some point. It's crazy what's going on. And and this is a question you also address. People have to read about it in your book. What is freedom for? And you cited, for example, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, that great prophet, really that Soviet dissident who warned the West back in the 70s about uh, what was going to happen to us. Do you you think that he was a bit of a prophet when you're looking at what's going on in the West at the moment? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I say he, that he delivered the Jeremiah in, in the true sense of the word of, of, the, of, of, of the prophet Jeremiah. Um, he gave that, uh, you know, uh, scandalous 1978 commencement address at Harvard, where he, he was expected to just praise the West <laughs> and say how bad it was in the Soviet Union. And of course it was bad in the Soviet Union, and he had lived in the Gulag for nearly a decade. But he 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 addressed his criticism to the West. He said, "You're you you have these paper liberties, but because your liberties aren't tethered to a moral account of what liberty is for, they're becoming disordered. Your press is actually very conformist. It has all the rights in the world to be a free press, but they all say the same thing. Um, your your economic kind of arrangements are becoming kind of predatory, even though again." You're, it's all free and, and, and uh, orderly on paper. So um, I think he's absolutely been vindicated. At the time, he was basically canceled. He was, when he gave that speech, the, uh, the liberal elites in this country gave him the cancel treatment, although the word being canceled was not something they used back in the day. Right. Yeah. And what a shame. I mean, his speeches and many of his speeches were just absolutely must reading for Americans. You know, in the context, when you're talking about the Judeo-Christian tradition, Saurabh, what do you think is ahead as far as the future of Christians, uh, evangelical Christians, also the Roman Catholic Church, when you're looking at all of these things that are occurring around us that seem to want to stamp out Christianity altogether, in some quarters at least? I mean, I, I, see, I see an age of persecution coming, frankly. Uh, it, it won't take the form of camps and, and gulags, I don't think, um, but a, a situation in which Catholic nuns, you know, again, will be forced to pay for abortifacients. Uh, evangelical bakers and photographers or whatever have you will, have, will be forced to make these constant decisions of, do you follow your conscience, your true conscience? Or do you keep your uh, do you keep your business and that means violating your conscience? I mean, this is um, the scenario we're, we're heading up against, and so it's. I mean, it's really important for me, like, not to retreat. There are some people who who face that situation and say, "Well, we better just go to our monasteries and and pray it away." Not that prayer isn't important, not that monastic life isn't important, but uh, you know, we still have institutions through which we can act, and we have to act collectively. Right. 
Right. Yeah, you're right. And I don't agree with those who are saying, let's just get in the cave and wait it out, because that's that's never how it's worked well in the past. And I don't believe that would work well now. I mean, it seems there is wisdom in occupying until Jesus comes for sure. Yeah, yeah. So I'm with you. Yeah, exactly. Well, I I think that you have raised so many good issues, Sarab, in your book, and I think that it is a terrific read, not only for people who are concerned about the state of America, but just to go back and read about some of these important people that you've mentioned in the book who really had a handle on some of these basic truths that we need to revisit and re really embrace. Uh, It's called The Unbroken Thread, Discovering the Wisdom of Tradition in an Age of Chaos. Saurabh Amari, so good to talk to you. Saurabh, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me again. You bet. God bless. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Well, right before President Biden put out a tweet talking about the holy month of Ramadan and Jill, his wife, and himself sending warmest greetings to those who are celebrating Eid, he made the announcement that the CDC, as you probably now have heard, announced they are no longer recommending that fully vaccinated people need to wear masks, whether inside or outside. But it's the second tweet that he put out that is problematic. Well, the first one is really problematic, too. If we talk about the CDC, first of all, they're not in charge of us. Second of all, who in the world can track the logic of the CDC? Because there hasn't been any. This has never been about science. All of the things that we were told to do, the lockdowns were a disaster. All of the stuff about masks are ridiculous. Now they're coming around on this. Even Dr. Fauci is now giving in a little bit on the mask thing. But this is what Biden says. This isn't a tweet. The rule is now simple. Get vaccinated or wear a mask until you do. The choice is yours. And people are responding to him saying, "Uh, you weren't elected dictator, which I know is a contradiction in terms. He's not a dictator. So what are you saying, President Biden, that until the people who don't want to be vaccinated or can't be vaccinated don't capitulate to your demands that everybody get vaccinated regardless. They have to wear a mask for the rest of their lives. Yeah, good luck with that. Good luck trying to enforce that. Good luck. It's just incredible. These people are crazy. And the funny thing is when you look on social media and you look at what some of these died-in-the-wool leftists are saying, I'm I'm reading all kinds of people making comments that they're fully vaccinated, but they still are going to wear a mask because they just want to be sure. Look, folks. It's not even up for debate that those flimsy masks don't do a thing to protect you from COVID-19. And by the way, if you have herd immunity, which now they're saying we're close to getting, then nobody needs to wear a mask. Nobody needs to wear a mask. You don't have to wear a mask. Why? Why would you? And why in the world do you have to be masked up if you're not sick? I'm not going to spread anything to you if I'm not sick. 
And if you're sick, I'm going to stay away from you, just like I do during flu season when flu is going around. I'm so tired of the whole thing, and I know you are too, but there we are, President Biden, your choice. You either get vaccinated or wear a mask until you do. Who does this guy think he is? I just find that so completely offensive. And the fact that he gets away with it with so many people in the media is just gross. At any rate, he's got other problems. Inflation Nation is one of his big problems because now we've seen producer prices soaring by the most on record. This is via Breitbart. Prices received by businesses for goods and services jumped 6.2% compared with a year ago. This is the largest increase since 12-month data started being calculated by the Department of Labor in 2010. The Department of Labor said its producer price index increased to seasonally adjusted 0.6% compared with March. The index was 1% in March, 0.5% in February, 1.3% in January, and the monthly gain was twice what analysts had forecast. Oh, okay. Well, well done. And you know, when Twitter was making fun of and trying to discredit Donald J. Trump Jr. from making that comment that Biden is akin to Carter. They were trying to correct that and, and write all these things. Oh, people were confused by this tweet. And and Donald Trump himself, the former president, came out and said, no, Carter was better than Biden. What are you talking about? I mean, Carter was terrible on the, the issue with the gas lines and all the rest, but he didn't intentionally try to tank the country. I got to agree with him on this. Uh, Interestingly enough, President Biden ignored a question from a reporter about rising prices in the U.S. at his press conference on Wednesday and just turned and walked away. What's he going to say? He doesn't even know what's going on. This from Fox Business. President Biden, though, is still pitching his multi-trillion dollar spending plans to Congress, even amid the threat of surging inflation after consumer prices in April saw this biggest increase in decades. And they go into the details on that. Uh, So who cares? I mean, we need to move forward. We're, we're needing to move forward on these ridiculous plans, the American Jobs Plan and the American Families Plan, which together will cost nearly $4 trillion. We don't have the money for that. We haven't had the money for that in years. We don't have, and no one even cares about this anymore. I, nobody even cares. Eh, what are we, $25 trillion in debt? Does it really matter? Eh, just keep just shoving out the money to people who don't want to work and you have all these job vacancies across the country and businesses can't fill the jobs because people are getting the money from the government and so they don't feel like working. It's just a mess. It's a complete mess. The White House, as they say, has billed the American Jobs Plan as an infrastructure package. Yeah, right. But Republicans have criticized the administration for what it considers infrastructure. Well, yes, if you have Democrats going out there like they have been claiming that everything is infrastructure, then the word is emptied of all meaning. Kind of like man and woman. I'm not giving up on the fact that we have, you know, two million women not able to go back to work because all the daycare centers are closed or out of business. And so they can't go back to work, Biden said. This is kind of an interesting thing. Can you imagine 50 years ago or 100 years ago, an American president really upset that women can't leave their children in daycare centers and that's a bad thing? Listen, I understand there are women who need help because they do have to work, and I'm certainly sympathetic to that. I'm not trying to bash anybody for working, but isn't it optimally better if you have little kids that mom is home? You know, 
mom is needed at home, yes? So if mom can be home, mom usually wants to be home unless mom's career is the most important thing to her. But that's just a bizarre statement. I I don't know what's going to happen here. Since the pandemic began a little more than a year ago, Congress has approved nearly $6 trillion in federal spending designed to keep the nation's economy afloat, including the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Package passed by Democrats in March. Now listen to this. The massive level of spending pushed the nation's deficit to a record $3.1 trillion just for 2020's fiscal year and a high of $1.7 trillion for the first half of fiscal 2021. Okay. So John Thune, the senator from South Dakota, said there's so much money out there in the economy that the demand is high and it's outpacing supply and it's starting to push prices up. Well done, Biden. You just, it's amazing. It's amazing. And we went from being, what, the the greatest exporter of oil now to having gas shortages within 100 days of Biden taking taking office. And and Pete Buttigieg is out there creating uh, the, the transportation secretary not too long ago, taking a bike out of a back of a Suburban and pretending that he was biking around <laughs> and got caught on tape doing it. Yeah, these are the people who are in charge. What's interesting about this colonial pipeline fiasco, as they write about it over at National Review, is that we still have the problem of trucker shortages. Now, the colonial pipeline has come back, and I guess they expect to have more normal Uh, output and production within a few days. But what about the truckers? See, think about this Think, And we were all thinking about this. I know during the course of the pandemic, just how important truckers are, just how important they are. How do you think you got your toilet paper restocked at your Walmart? If it weren't for truckers, you wouldn't be seeing those shelves restocked the way they were. And it was something of a miracle that everything went as well as it did in terms of supply chains during the course of the pandemic. But they quote this one trucker saying that the gas trucking industry uh, indicates that the recent crisis highlights this driver shortage. He said there's not enough drivers in the industry to keep up with the panic buying that's going on and the increased demand. We seemed like we were in good shape in March, and for whatever reason, it just seemed like it hit us mid-March. I've been doing this 25 years. You can normally see this coming, but for whatever reason, the bottom fell out of it mid-March, and everyone in the industry is kind of shaking their heads, and we don't know why. Well, we need truckers. We need truckers. I don't know. It's a weird situation, but I'll tell you what's really unsettling, and it goes back to the letter from these retired flag officers that I mentioned on yesterday's show. They're very concerned about the state of mind of the president, something that all of us have been discussing since the very beginning, even going back to the campaign season. Why is this guy running for president? He's not mentally fit to be president. I mean, you want to invoke the 25th Amendment, you might want to think about doing it now. It applies to Biden in a way that it certainly never applied to Donald Trump at all, except as a very thinly veiled political means of getting him out of office because none of the other things the leftists were trying were actually succeeding. But Biden... He's not all there. We know he's not all there. And he calls lids and he takes naps and he doesn't really do much and he's not held accountable. And he keeps saying, oh, I can't answer that question. I'm not allowed to answer that question. I'm going to get in trouble. Who is running the country? I don't know if I want to know. Yeah, I think his last name might start with an O, but that's just a wild guess. When we come back, an incredible new ad from the Army. You're not going to believe this. We'll play it for you when we come back. Stay with us.
Why are three teenage girls walking 132 miles? I have a heart for the unborn because God does. In His Word, He tells us that we are all image bearers. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. The Ministry of Preborn introduces moms to their baby in the womb through ultrasound by letting a mother hear her baby's heartbeat and see her baby eight out of ten times, she'll choose life. Our goal is to raise $1,000 for every mile. Will you help us rescue babies? Preborn invites you to sponsor Savannah, Phoenix, and Emily as they walk 132 miles for the unborn. 100% of your donation will go towards saving babies' lives. And during this month of May, through a match, your tax-deductible gift is doubled, saving twice as many babies. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a pre-born banner to click at JanetMeffer.com. Be sure to mention you heard about the Walk for the Unborn on Janet Meffer today. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. If you're in need of a new health care program, but you missed the open enrollment deadline in December, it's not too late. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th. During this time, you can enroll in the health care program of your choice without the need for a qualifying event. This means you can now enroll in a health care sharing program from Liberty HealthShare with memberships for individuals, couples, and families. You can find a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Plus, you really can choose the doctor and hospital of your choice. Best of all, membership options start for as low as $199 a month. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their health care needs. What are you waiting for? Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the culture. There's some really strange things. I have to share this experience just very briefly. I was on a shopping trip with one of my kids when we were looking for a birthday present for another one of our kids. And we went into Bath and Body Works. I know a lot of people shop at Bath and Body Works. They have really cute scents and they have lotion and body wash and all the other things, little hand sanitizers. And I walk in there. The first thing I see is this gigantic display with a big sign that says, love always wins. Celebrate pride with Bath and Body Works. And I'm thinking, it's May. We don't even have LGBT Pride Month until June. Now it's extending into May. Pretty soon it's going to be all the way through the whole year. We're going to start in January and it's not going to let up until the end of December. And then it'll start up again on January 1st. They have a whole display here. They have this body spray and they have candles and they have sanitizer and they have lotion. And every single package says, love always wins. But here's The worst part of it, there's a sign right next to it, and it's got a big rainbow around the border, and it says, we are proud to donate $1 million to support the Human Rights Campaign. And there it is with its big blue equal sign, the little yellow equal sign in the blue box, and it says underneath it, Bath and Body Works supports the Human Rights Campaign Foundation in their work to further equality for the LGBTQ community. And you know what I did? I walked up to one of the clerks and I said, I was going to make a purchase here until I saw that. And I said, the human rights campaign is one of the worst organizations in this country. They're against religious freedom. They're against Christianity. I'm not going to shop here if you're going to support them. And I walked out 
and I bought my stuff somewhere else. I'm not going to support this. By the way, and I want to make a couple of very quick comments along these lines. Why does the human rights campaign need any money? Because look at what you're look at what's going on here. It's kind of the continual problem that if you set up some kind of cause foundation, that you have a vested interest in keeping your foundation going, even though you don't really have anything left to do because everything that you set out to do, you've already done. I know these people want the Equality Act so they can strip Christians of their religious freedom and force everybody into the transgender agenda and all the rest of this nonsense and the bathrooms and the locker rooms and all this. They just want to get rid of religious freedom. Period, because Christians are the problem in their minds. But they have tons of money. I I can't even tell you, but they have tons of money, tons of power. They get everything they want. They got the Obergefell decision. They got the Bostock decision. They have most of the culture in their back pocket. They're swimming in cash. And you have this organization getting more money from Bath and Body Works, a million bucks. What does Human Rights Campaign need a million bucks for? For the Equality Act? When they needed to further equality. What are you talking about? What would make it more equal? At the, it's just propaganda. It's just more money, more money, more money. It's just a big racket. But you know what? You don't have to shop there. You don't have to shop there. You can get cheaper soap that smells good a lot of other places. You can choose a lot of different stores in your area. You can order stuff online. I'm not going there anymore. I don't care about that. They had like nice little sales and things like that and nice little gifts. I'm done. I'm not supporting it. And, you know, you can talk about boycotts not making any difference and boycotts not mattering. I don't agree because as a free American citizen and as a Christian who belongs to Jesus Christ, I don't have to give my money to companies that are trying to undo my religious freedom and undermine the Constitution by passing legislation that is really totalitarian. So, you know, they're free to believe what they want to believe and do what they want to do. And I'm free to do it, too. So there you go. Fair warning. All right, let's get to this Army ad. Oh, man. You know, I played that CIA ad for you recently that was completely woke and diverse. And the woman talking about how she was so intersectional. What this has to do with qualifying for the CIA's agent position? I have no idea. But we have a woke armed forces now, folks. They're so much more superior and righteous than the former armed forces that was not woke back in the time of the Allied forces during World War II, apparently. Those guys, they just didn't have it going on. Uh, they defeated the Nazis, but, you know, they weren't woke. So we need to we need to be woke to be truly righteous. This is just incredible. This is the Army's recruitment ad, and it is a young woman named Emma Malone Lord. I'm just going to let her speak for herself. We're going to break this up into a couple of cuts. Listen to cut one. This is the story of a soldier who operates your nation's Patriot Missile Defense Systems. It begins in California, with a little girl raised by two moms. Although I had a fairly typical childhood, took ballet, played violin, I also marched for equality. I like to think I've been defending freedom from an early age. Okay, what does having two lesbians raise you have to do with your recruitment for the army. I, why even bring this up? And I went to gay pride events and they're showing, it's a little cartoon that they have in this ad. Oh, okay. I, I don't know why this is a selling point for girls to go into the army, but boy, she's just, she's very diverse. So I guess this is something that's going to resonate with young girls across the country. Mm, let's listen to the rest of the ad. This is cut two. When I was six years old, 
One of my moms had an accident that left her paralyzed. Doctors said she might never walk again. But she tapped into my family's pride to get back on her feet, eventually standing at the altar to marry my other mom. With such powerful role models, I finished high school at the top of my class and then attended UC Davis, where I joined a sorority full of other strong women. What? Okay, let's just talk about this for a moment. One of her, quote unquote, moms was paralyzed and tapped into her family's pride to get back on her feet. What does that mean? There was a medical miracle because she was a lesbian? I don't even understand what that... I'm being dead serious. What does being a lesbian have to do with getting the strength to overcome paralysis? Somehow I feel there's something missing in this story that we're not being told. But no, 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 no. You don't question the woke. And I guess because she had two lesbians raising her, that was why she graduated at the top of her class. Do, do you see how you're being played here? The, the overall message is she is so much better off having two moms rather than a mom and a dad because one of her moms, quote unquote, tapped into family pride to overcome paralysis. And because she had two moms, she graduated at the top of her class, even though one has nothing to do with the other, nor does she even attempt to make any kind of rational case for causation. Lesbianism equals top of the class for the kid being raised by the two lesbians. It, it's it, blood, but that's not the point. The point is not to actually be logical, rational, reasonable, and make a wonderful case for this kind of so-called family, it's basically saying it's, you know, it's just normal. It's, it's completely normal. One more cut, cut three. But as graduation approached, I began feeling like I'd been handed so much in life, a sorority girl stereotype. Sure, I'd spent my life around inspiring women, but what had I really achieved on my own? One of my sorority sisters was studying abroad in Italy. Another was climbing Mount Everest. I needed my own adventures my own challenge. And after meeting with an army recruiter, I found it. A way to prove my inner strength and maybe shatter some stereotypes along the way. I feel inspired. I don't know about you, but, you know, find the girl next door, get your daughters, get them to enter the army because clearly you can't be an inspiring woman these days unless you join the army because you were really inspired by your lesbian moms. I... You know, again, th- this is this is what's going on. And as people were remarking on this video on the Internet, they're saying our, our enemies are laughing at us. We're a laughing stock around the world, putting this kind of nonsense front and center is some kind of selling point for the U.S. Armed Forces. The U.S. Armed Forces are not about your identity politics or your sexual inclinations or your alternative lifestyles or your faux marriage or your upbringing. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with being ready to fight and win wars to protect the United States of America. That's all it's about. And when you have all this kind of woke diversity nonsense taking center stage, I don't feel any safer to you. I don't feel any safer. I, I, I don't really care if you feel inspired in the army. You can feel inspired in the army, but that's not why you're there. 
I don't know. It almost doesn't need to be said. But I say it anyway because I think it's so completely ridiculous. By the way, I'll throw this in at the end. Did you hear that this USA Today editor wants promise keepers barred from having their event at Cowboys Stadium in Dallas? Well, it's actually in Arlington between Dallas and Fort Worth. Yeah, because... The CEO, Ken Harrison, did an interview recently and said that Christian men are not standing up for what's right. And you think about how quickly we went from homosexual marriage to men putting on dresses, being called women and playing on women's basketball teams. Where are the Christian men? And this USA Today columnist said, this is hate speech. The Dallas Cowboys shouldn't allow promise keepers to meet. You know, I'm, we're done with it. And God bless Ken Harrison because he said, yeah, it's not surprising. (laughs) Not surprising at all. And they started selling more tickets after this column came out. So God bless Promise Keepers. I'm glad to hear it. Stand strong, Christians. Stay the course and keep on going. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Heaven awaits us. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next time.